DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization, with Father Scott Trainer. Father Trainer serves as the rector of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He has been an instructor and spiritual director for many of the programs at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is a retreat master and spiritual director who has traveled the country as a speaker for various conferences, diocesan gatherings, and national conferences. He is the author of The Parish as a School of Prayer, Foundation for the New Evangelization, on which this series is based. The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. You've taken us on an incredible journey into our prayer lives and that encounter with the love of Jesus within our hearts and within his heart. It's a, it's a remarkable encounter that God is waiting to have with us, isn't it? It is. Uh, I just, again and again, uh, the joy of learning and discovering the scope of God's desire uh, to be with us, to have an intimate relationship with us every day, far beyond all we can ask or imagine. And I was thinking about that, uh, you know, I say that a lot, like God wants an intimate relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And some t- one time a person asked, well, you know, how would you describe intimacy? Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is how I responded. You know, if I have an intimate relationship with you, uh, I know some things about you. I know how you think, you know? Uh, I can think of a situation and knowing you in an intimate relationship. I know how you think through things. I know how you see things. I know how you look at situations. So I know how you think. And I know how you're feeling. You can imagine a, a married couple after a couple of decades of marriage and, you know, they have to go to the husband's uh, abysmal Christmas party for the company Christmas party, right? A husband who is, has an intimate re- knowledge of his wife, I mean, from across the room, across a crowded room at a party, can know that moment where he's like, she wants to get out of here. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. enough, right? And if he's a good husband, he's going to go over and kind of bail her out and make their excuses and off they go. So if I have an intimate relationship with you, I know how you feel. I can see and perceive what's moving in your heart and your feelings. And I know what you desire. I know what motivates you. I know what you're hoping for, longing for, what your heart is pining for. So I know what, how you think. I know what you're feeling. I'm familiar with your desires because you've made yourself known to me and I've attended to that. And very importantly, if we have an intimate relationship, you know that about me because I've chosen to make myself known to you and I've experienced becoming known by you. So I know you, you know me in the level of our thoughts and our feelings and our desires. So if a total stranger comes up to you, for example, and says, hey, I know what you're thinking and I know how you feel and I know what you want. And they're a stranger. (laughs) That's not an intimate relationship. That's a creepy relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so when God invites us into intimacy with himself, he longs for us to freely choose to reveal ourselves to him, to speak to him of what we see, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, and what we want. 
so that we can experience being known by him because we freely made ourselves known to him. God's not going to relate to us as a creeper. He's not just going to come, hey, I know you better than know yourself. And so that's just so uh, beautiful to me every time I think of it, that God, the creator of the universe, has this real interest in me and, and with every person I encounter. God is interested in what's going on in their life, what they're thinking, how they feel, or feel what they desire. And as a Christian, if I'm close to the heart of Jesus, that really informs the way I relate to the person. And I don't care whether that's the cashier at the gas station or my brother or my boss or whatever relationship or whatever sphere of activity and whatever level of encounter. If I'm close to the heart of Jesus, I'm going to take real interest in the person before me because Jesus does. And he's placed that person in my path in this moment. And it really changes and goes to work. It's still a work in progress. Changes the way that I see and relate to people. It's a great adventure. Mm. In that encounter, one of the great opportunities to actually to walk with him, to journey with him, is given to us in that gift of our imagination. Mm. Talk to us about the imagination. Why should that be something we should cherish? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with this form of prayer of Lexio Divina. And a key aspect of Lexio, if I'm reading a, a narrative passage in the Gospels, is to imagine the scene, the sights, the sounds, the smells, all, everything that would impact my senses. And as we pray that way, people experience sort of being drawn into that moment of Jesus's life and it coming alive in a whole new fullness and tangible reality. Well, <clears throat> everything you and I know, we know through our physical senses. We saw it, we tasted it, we smelled it, we heard it, we felt it, right? And uh, that's true if I have a teacher, if I'm reading, uh, if I'm just learning through life experience. All, everything I know comes to me through my physical senses. Well, in relationship with God, God wants us to know him. I can't be intimate with the one I don't know. And so he makes himself known to us. But, and so scripture says, for example, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Well, how can I do that? I mean, is God a scratch and sniff God? Can I, oh, <laughs> the goodness of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Of course not. God is an infinite, eternal spirit. Pure spirits do not register in our physical senses. And yet God intends for us and makes us capable of coming to know him. So in fact, our physical senses have spiritual counterparts. So if you read in Augustine's Confessions, Late Have I Loved You, O Beauty Ever Ancient, Ever New. If you read that part of the Confessions, he talks how God flashed and shone and broke through his blindness. You know, And uh, it's a beautiful litany of the activation of Augustine's spiritual senses. So our physical senses have spiritual counterparts. And our spiritual senses, like our physical senses, have their proper object. So if my physical senses, my sight is attuned to light, my hearing to sound, my touch, my sense of touch to texture, my sense of smell to odor, my sense of taste to flavors. So each sense has a, a proper object in my physical senses. So too do our spiritual senses have their proper object, namely the spiritual dimension of reality. 
and the information, the reality that impacts my spiritual senses, spiritual reality impacting my spiritual senses, that information is collected and synthesized in Christian imagination. Okay, mm-hmm. So when we're invited to meditate on the baptism of Jesus, right? And I'm praying uh, and imagining that moment as Jesus comes out of the water and hears the Father saying, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And let's say as I'm praying that, uh, I have a real felt sense of the Father's love for me. So the big question that people always have when I'm praying, like, well, is that real or did I just make that up? You know, mm-hmm. is it just because I'm imagining this that it just kind of, I'm just sort of talking myself into it? Or is that a real experience? And the enemy loves to sow that question and that doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple ways to know the difference between encountering spiritual reality in our Christian imagination versus fantasy. And so here we have a kind of language problem because if I say, hey, I have an imaginary friend, what does that mean? It means that this friend is not real, mm-hmm. right? That's the way we commonly use that word. But actually, if we want to be in for the purposes of our conversation, that should actually be my fantasy friend or my fantastic friend, right? Fantasy is something that we make up that has no grounding in reality. Uh, The engagement of Christian imagination is different. It's rooted in reality and it's it's spiritual reality registering in my spiritual senses. So you're with me so far. I don't Mm -hmm. want to get too complex. Okay, so here we go. and so there's a way to tell the difference between, well, is this just fantasy? Am I just making this up? Or is this uh, really my perception of spiritual reality through my spiritual senses? And there's a couple keys. Um, first of all is the nature of the effect. So if I'm watching a scary movie, I'm watching The Shining, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie is going to have an effect on me. Uh, in fact, I, <laughs> that was the last scary movie I ever watched. And I was studying Rome at the time at the North American College. And it was after, it was during Christmas break, and there were about five of us in this giant building made for 200, you know, mm-hmm. long corridors, lots of doors. And there's a creepy scene with these little ghost girls in The Shining uh, in such a corridor, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, when I was watching that movie, at a certain point, if someone would have come up behind me and gone, boo, I would have been <laughs> on the ceiling like, ah! Because <laughs> the movie's having an effect. Sure. But of course, the movie's not based in reality. It's fantasy. And a hallmark of fantasy is that when we stop engaging in the fantasy, the effect that it has on us evaporates. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a reality that's affecting us. It's just fantasy. And so once the lights are turned on and there's more people in the room and whatever, and someone comes up and says, boo, guess what? I'm not scared. Mm -hmm. So that's a hallmark of fantasy. Christian imagination, because it's... uh, our Christian imagination is translating spiritual reality into a way that makes sense to me. The effect that uh, that spiritual reality has on me that I'm perceiving through Christian imagination remains beyond the time that I'm engaging my Christian imagination. So like I said, I'm praying with the baptism of Jesus. I have that felt sense of the Father's love for me as I'm meditating and imagining this moment of Jesus's life. Well, Did I just make that up or is that real? Well, as I finish my prayer time and as I go through my day, can I glance into my heart and still experience the reality of the Father's love? We know that's real. That's revealed to us again and again throughout Scripture and our whole faith. But am I, is that still alive in my heart? Yes, it is. I didn't just make that up. 
That's a spiritual reality. It's impacting me. So its effects remain after I'm no longer actively engaging my spiritual senses. That's one hallmark. Another hallmark of Christian imagination is that Jesus or the Father, the Holy Spirit are always at the center of my attention mm-hmm. because that's reality. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, who is with us at every moment, as he promises, is the most real person in the room at every moment. When I'm living, as I'm sad to say I do many moments of my day, as if that aren't, wasn't the case, I've actually left reality and moved into fantasy. When I'm living in any moment of my life without the recognition that Jesus is with me and is the center and author of the reality that I'm experiencing, he's the most real person in the room and he's responsible for all of created reality that I'm encountering in that moment, I'm unhinged from reality if I don't recognize that. I have... and. Most of us spend a lot of time living in a mildly fantasy existence because we don't attend to that truth that Jesus is at the center of every moment. So when I'm praying, when my attention is drawn to the presence and activity of God, that is a hallmark that I'm entering deeply into reality uh, through the gift of my spiritual senses summed up in Christian imagination. So God created us to come to know through sensory information. And he wants us to know the fullness of reality, not only material created reality, but also spiritual reality. Himself as an infinite eternal spirit, the reality of angels and demons, uh, pure spirits who are around us, and the reality of the other human spirits in the people that we encounter every day. So I'm convinced, for example, you know, we talk about women's intuition, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a particular a gift in the feminine genius to be attentive to what's going on in the heart or the spirit of people around them. This is really real. This happens. And uh, if you try to pin down like, well, if you have this intuition, a woman has a good intuition about someone or a situation, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. She's never going to be able to describe, well, I saw this and I heard this and this is what I, it's not a something that's working through our physical senses. It's a spiritual awareness of a spiritual reality. What's going on in the heart of this other person? So the way, I, one way I sum up um, the gift of Christian imagination is that if I want to live in reality, I actually have to imagine what's right in front of me because I'm seeing and hearing the physical part of creation if I'm paying attention. But there's a whole other dimension of reality and it's actually the more real dimension of reality because Creation is passing away. We wait a new heavens and a new earth. Mm -hmm. But spiritual realities are immortal. They are never passing away. It's actually the more enduring and more real part of reality. So if I want to live in touch with reality, I have to imagine what's right in front of me in this sense of Christian imagination. It's so important what you're telling us because we even make a point of professing that as a part of our credo, as a part of our creed and identifier of who we are, that we believe in things visible and And invisible. Yes, absolutely. And and we're made to live lives of faith, fully engaged with the fullness of reality. God as the author of all reality and everything that he's created, visible and invisible. Mm. Now, In that engagement, in the imagination, would we call that the contemplative nature, the contemplative type of prayer? 
Yeah, if we're going to use this word, uh, and it's an accurate word, we have to make a distinction between what St. Ignatius means by contemplation in the spiritual exercises and the Carmelite tradition of contemplation. Because they use the same word, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. So in the Carmelite tradition, what Ignatius calls contemplation, Carmelites would call meditation or mental prayer. Okay, so this is really important to so people don't get confused by the terminology. Uh, so different traditions using the same word in slightly different ways. So in the spiritual exercises, when Ignatius invites us to contemplation, he gives us simple instructions like I'm going to imagine the scene, like if it's a narrative passage in scriptures. So I'm praying through the life of Jesus. I'm going to imagine the scene. I'm going to look at the people. I'm going to listen to what they say. And I'm going to notice what they do. Mm-hmm. So you can hear that activity of paying attention through the senses of what's transpiring in this moment of Jesus's life uh, recorded in the Gospels. Okay, And Ignatius knows and generations, I mean, centuries of lived experience uh, confirm that if I'll engage my spiritual senses, I'm engaging reality, like this moment the healing of uh, Bartimaeus or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Like these are actual real moments that happened 2,000 years ago. And by the gift of our Christian baptism, this is so exciting to me, by the realism of our baptism is that we are baptized into Christ so that by God's grace, Jesus invites us to live and share and participate in every moment of his life. Even as in the incarnation, he has entered into every moment of our life. And that mutual sharing of lives is the nature of intimacy with Jesus. Jesus invites us to experience what he experiences with him, in union with him, in every moment of his life. And Jesus is present to us and waits for us to welcome him into every moment of our life. So as a a parish priest, I've had the great blessing for nine years now to direct seminarians, priests, and religious in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius as they're entering into these Ignatian contemplations in the life of Jesus. And this uh, dynamic of being drawn more intimately into the experiences of Jesus's life with him and discovering Jesus's desire and saying a greater yes to uh, in allowing Jesus to reveal his presence with them in every moment of their life, that is the radical transforming power of God that people encounter as they make their good spiritual exercises in the 30-day retreat. It's beautiful. And this happens for people who don't have time to make a 30-day retreat daily in their daily hours of prayer. If they go away for a little three-day retreat weekend, all the time. I mean, this isn't just reserved for the rarefied environment of uh, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. This is what God desires. I want you to share every moment of my life, Jesus says to us. I want you to experience my being with you in every moment of your life. And Christian imagination, this contemplative attitude Mm -hmm. to imagine reality, the fullness of reality, uh, is the way that we're drawn into that gift. If you could talk to us, too, about that theological dimension concerning grace in that when you have that type of encounter in contemplation, that, say, if you're uh, you're, a 
a grandmother and you're sitting with your rosary mm -hmm. and you're praying that sorrowful mystery of the uh, at the crucifixion, or if you're someone who is doing the Stations of the Cross mm -hmm. and you have that moment of encountering him, that if, what type of grace are we receiving at that time? Mm. Well, um, when I was in... Uh, taking my theology classes in Rome, mm -hmm. uh, we had a in our our class on grace. We had a, a German professor named Father Karl Becker, who's a Jesuit priest. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing class, but it was very ordered, right? So we had classes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and thirteen weeks of class. So we had thirteen thesis statements about what is grace, right? Mm -hmm. And Monday, uh, with the first thesis, it would be scripture, and then tradition. And then the magisterium of the church. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, scripture, tradition, magisterium. It's a very ordered class. It was amazing. And uh, one of his thesis statements about grace is this. Grace is a Christiform participation in divine life. So we were talking about this in one of our earlier conversations that through Jesus and with Jesus and in him, we are ushered into the infinite eternal communion of love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So every grace, properly called, is a God communicating his life to us, uh, planting his life in our hearts. So St. Paul can say in the fullness of grace, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm -hmm. uh, God shares his life with us. He invites us into his life through Jesus, with him and in him. So here's the grandmother who's praying, right? Mm-hmm. And I uh, actually had this experience when I was first ordained. I was at our cathedral, and we had uh, saintly grandmothers in this parish, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of these beautiful women who was just a prayer warrior, always praying the rosary, uh, came to me after Mass one day. And she said, and she was a little upset. She was like, oh, Father, I, I'm, just, I'm just upset. I said, oh, what's the matter? She said, well, I was... <laughs> I was praying the rosary today and I didn't finish. I'm like, oh, did you fall asleep? And she was a little offended by that. Mm. Why do you say it? I'm like, well, sometimes when I pray the rosary, I kind of doze off. And she said, no, no, I was, I was praying the joyful mysteries. And I was praying with the nativity of Jesus. And I was so captured by the beauty of his face. I could see the light from his face and the softness of his cheek. And he was just so beautiful. And I got lost in that, and I ran out of time. And she was upset because she hadn't finished the mm -hmm. Decades of the Rosary. Mm. And I just I listened to this. It's like my heart just melted, and I was filled with joy for her and with her. And I said, you know, dear, listen, don't worry that you didn't finish the Rosary, right? Every method of prayer, whether it's the Rosary or Lexio Divina or... Uh, praise and worship music, or what you'd name as a million forms of authentic Christian prayer, methods of prayer, they all have one goal, which is to encounter the living God, to be drawn into the lived experience of being with him. Well, the rosary, as she was praying in, in a very contemplative way, uh, had achieved its purpose as a method of prayer. She was captivated by the reality of the beauty and the tenderness of the baby Jesus. And it was a touching, a tasting of that beauty and that tenderness that filled her heart and helped her feel and experience real intimacy with Jesus. 
Well, that's a a very um, is I want to say this with a lot of reverence, a lot of um, care for the mystery of what's transpiring there. That's a mystical moment. But it's the ordinary Catholic mysticism. It's available to all. We've, many people who are listening today have had experiences just like this. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we'll kind of like, they'll start to unfold and then we just kind of move on because I got to get to the rest of the rosary, right? Mm-hmm. And the point is when our spiritual senses are engaged mm-hmm. um, and I have that lived, felt experience of God or some facet of God here, the tenderness, the beauty of Jesus, I want to just stop and adore like let that soak in as long as that's available to me. We can't make that happen. We can't cling to that and keep it from going away. It's going to have a natural lifespan, uh, a mystical moment like that. Uh, might last for 10 seconds in my time of prayer. It might be with me for three or four days. It might be with me for two months. That's up to God. But it's a beautiful moment to be reverenced and savored as long as it's available. So just let the beads go aside be captivated by the radiance of Jesus's face and the feeling of the softness, the tenderness of his cheek as you're imagining holding him there at the manger, right? And we can multiply an example like that uh, a million times over Mm -hmm. for the kinds of things that happen when people show up and actually just take time to pray. It's not a a reward for right behavior. Uh, It's just purely a gift of God who wants to draw us into intimacy with himself. And he does throw through the activation of our spiritual senses in imaginative or Ignatian contemplative prayer. You've spoken in our previous conversations about how if we can imagine the Father gazing upon our face, Mm -hmm. and as you've just reflected, when we think about events and, and contemplate those moments in scriptures that give us his life, we can also experience in prayer, can't we, those moments in our life and to go there with him mm-hmm. and to use that imagination mm-hmm. in the in the most real way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when we were talking a, a few conversations ago about how God heals, heals mm-hmm. memories in our lives, when we uh, relate to him, the thoughts and feelings and desires that surround that hurtful moment and ask for the grace, God, will you reveal your presence with me, and your love for me in this moment. Uh, As I've prayed in this way myself, as I've uh, helped other people to enter into praying with moments like that, well, how does that revelation happen? Well, it happens precisely in an imaginative moment as I'm letting myself remember. You know, I I come home in third grade, and uh, I'm really excited because I have all A's or all E's at that time uh, Mm -hmm. on my report card. And I want my dad to see this. And my dad's had a long day at work and he's reading the paper and doesn't want to be bothered. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like that's, that hurts because I'm so excited and I can't wait for my dad to get home. And then when he is home, he's, he doesn't want to look at my report card. Well, this is just like a simple little thing. It's not a big deal. But there's something in that little third grade boy's heart that is a little crushed, you know? And so years and years later, this memory comes up and there's a sadness and a, a feeling of uh, being a bother that mm-hmm. comes up in my heart. And I realized like, oh, um, that wasn't a perfect moment in my dad's life. And somehow it stayed with me for a long time in a way I never really 
realized before, but, but there it is. Okay. So with this memory is coming up in prayer. And so I start telling the father our heavenly father about this, about what I wanted to do and what I was hoping for and how I felt when, you know, my dad was reading the paper and I felt like a bother and all that. And then asking the father, asking Jesus to reveal their presence with me. Well, what came, what came was, uh, a vision of Jesus, like just a sense, not a vision, like I wasn't like seeing it, but in my heart, in my imagination, seeing Jesus coming to my dad and just tapping him on the shoulder and asking him to put the paper down. And then here's the father who scoops me up and places me in my father's lap. And so there is Jesus and the father on either side of my dad and I. And that was amazingly healing for me. And what I experienced through that picture, if you will, that's coming up imaginatively in my prayer, was the Father and Jesus's love and compassion for my dad. Right? Seeing that in a whole new light, understanding what he was going through in that moment, but also their desire that my dad could receive me as a gift and not as an interruption. Mm -hmm. And that just touched something, a real simple thing in my heart in a very deep and beautiful way. But that revelation, so in reality, back when I was in third grade, the Father and Jesus were there in that moment. But I was in third grade. I had no sense of turning to them or calling out to them or wanting to experience the reality of my their presence with me in that moment. But years and years later, I do have that sensibility in my life. Thanks be to God. I can't imagine life without it anymore. Um, and they wanted me to receive the fullness of their love and their providential, their grace in that moment where I especially needed to receive it. So to make a long story short, just in my own experiences and praying with, with a lot of people, helping people to pray, um, yeah, God is eager for us to know the reality of his presence for us, his tender love, his power to heal, his power to guard, his power to forgive in every moment of our life. So there's no moment of our life um, where there isn't something more of God and his presence, power, and love for us to receive. Mm. And that many times is communicated in an imaginative sense of that reality. In closing this particular episode, what is it that you would have the, the seeking heart encounter in that use of their imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just uh, recommend what St. Ignatius recommends. Um, so when I go to pray, we've talked before about pausing at the beginning of my prayer to consider how God is gazing upon me. That's an imaginative exercise. Um, to exercise my desire, like ask God for a good thing that I desire in relationship with him. But then to turn, I would, and I would start with the Gospels, to a narrative passage in Scripture that draws your attention right? And just let yourself pray with that passage in in an imaginative way. That just means Jesus was down by the Sea of Galilee, right? And what he was doing there. Just imagine it. What kind of day was it? What was the weather like? What do you imagine Jesus wearing? Uh, Picture the crowds. So look at the people who are there. Who do you see? Look around imaginatively. And there's no right or wrong way to do this. This is a really free way of praying, right? Mm -hmm. But just engage your senses. What are the sights? What are the sounds? What are the smells? What are the textures? What are the tastes? Can you taste that salt water if you're down by the dead sea, you know? 
imagine it. And then what will happen is, as you're imagining this, something that you are paying attention to will actually arrest your attention. There will be a detail that stands out imaginatively. And when that detail arrests your attention, let your attention be arrested. Uh, so maybe it's a word that Jesus spoke, and maybe that word is captured in Scripture, or maybe it's just something you imagine someone in the crowd saying that's not in Scripture, but it really arrests your attention. Let your attention be arrested, and then notice around that point that's arrested your attention, there will be a swirling of thoughts and feelings and desires, and maybe some memories from your own life. And whatever stirs in your heart when your attention is arrested by some imaginative de detail, take the time to tell God all about that. Just that simple habit that I've just described will help everyone who's listening today experience a great deepening of intimacy and lived experience with God in their daily prayer. Mm, great. Thank you so much, Father Scott. You're welcome. You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer.